I invite you to remain standing in body or in spirit. And as we come before God's word, we're doing so quite likely as Jesus and the disciples would have, who recited the Shema both when they got up in the morning, before they went to bed at night, and as they came before uh, the text. And so um, I would invite you to uh, join, follow after me in Hebrew, and we'll join together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Chad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture uh, this morning is from Paul. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please seated, please. Well, this is wonderfully awkward. <laughs> Reminds me of a situation more than uh, 25 years ago. I had preached a, a three-evening revival at an, a church in another town. And at the end of uh, the third um, night, uh, there was a, a reception afterwards. And so I had a bit of a receiving line where I was standing. And standing with me was uh, Raymond Wilson. Raymond was in his mid-80s. But what was even more interesting about Raymond is he was one of the first graduates of Duke University Divinity School back in 1930. So we are there, and uh, several people have already formed a line, and, and they're saying very nice and uh, complimentary things about the three nights of services. And of course, I'm trying to deflect each one, apologize, and uh, suggest they might be off in their evaluation. And after I've done this for like five different people, finally, Raymond puts his hand on my shoulder. He looks at me, and he said, son, just say thank you. And those are words over the past more than 25 years that I have tried to remember. And so this morning, simply what I want to say to you is thank you. There were some in the staff who suggested that after the Shema, I just read the scripture and stand up and say to you, thank you, and leave the stage. <laughs> well, it could have been a mic drop moment, except I'm not one who likes to drop the mic. I want to hold it as long as I can. So holding it for a few more minutes, let me say to you again, thank you. There are so many things uh, to be thankful for. And in the note I sent the congregation, you may have seen some of those. But if I were to sum up um, uh, my gratitude in uh, a sentence, it, it might be one of two sentences. The first sentence would go something like this. Thank you for letting me do what I love with people that I love. Or in less than a sentence, I might tell you this. I was um, uh, in Trinity Library the other day and just kind of glancing at the books of, um, about Paul. And one of them, it's an older book, but I, I was interested in the title and I, put it, I pulled it out and the title were uh, these three words, Kingdom and Community. Thank you because you've allowed me to be a part of advancing God's kingdom with you and community. So again, I want to say thank you. But I not only want to say thank you this morning, I also want to tell you that I think uh, gratitude is significant in the Christian life. 
And uh, we should be grateful, not just when we have reason, but perhaps even when we don't have reason. Don't know if you saw that study a few years ago, uh, but they studied the Sisters of Notre Dame. The interesting thing about the Sisters of Notre Dame was way back in the 1930s, when uh, they were um, coming together as part of their entrance, they had to write their spiritual autobiography. The other interesting thing is this group was still together a few years ago, and they started interviewing some of the nuns. They were, uh, the youngest was, I think, 78, and the oldest was 93. And what was interesting is because they had the spiritual autobiographies from 60 years ago, and they could also interview the same nuns today, they had what we might call a longitudinal study, and they were able to look at them in two different periods of their life. And what they found was amazing. They found this, that the nuns who in their early spiritual autobiography displayed the strongest sense of gratitude six decades later would be the nuns who would have the longest and the healthiest life. They found that there was a correlation between gratitude and the length of your life and the health of your life. Now, what this has done the last few years is it spurred a field that I didn't even know existed called gratitude research. But basically, gratitude research talks about the benefits to us of being grateful. And so I just submit as Article 1 this morning that you can live longer and healthier as you are grateful. But I would also want to tell you that I think if you had longer years and even healthy years, if they were years devoid without meaning or purpose, they wouldn't be good years. So I want to also offer you gratitude as a way to fill those longer, healthier years in a better way. My sense as I think about gratitude is it does at least three things for us. Number one is gratitude, I think, helps us deal with the difficulties in our past. You know, there's no way that we can change our past. When it comes to our past, it seems to me we only have a couple healthy options. One is to forgive whatever has gone wrong in the past, and the other is to be grateful for the things that have gone right in the past. I'm reminded of the work of the late John Claypool, who when his daughter was eight years old, she was diagnosed with leukemia. And Laura Lou died within two years. And he talks about it in a book about his grief. And he said, people in the church, when they tried to talk with him, usually came up with one of two things they would say. One is that, well, you just have to resign yourself to the fact that your, your daughter's death was due to God's will. This is just how God went, uh, wanted it. So just resign yourself, accept it. And he said, that didn't seem to me that that's really what God wanted for 10-year-old children. And he said, but there are other people who didn't talk to me about the way of resignation. He said, they talked to me about what they called the way of understanding. And they would say, well, I know you don't get it now. It doesn't make sense. But one day you'll understand And he said, the way of understanding didn't really help me much um, earlier because I don't think I ever want to understand why a 10-year-old child should die. He said, the only way left open to me was what he called the way of gratitude. He said, I learned this in the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. And he said, from a German scholar, Von Rad, he said, "What what I learned was this that the test of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac is what's being tested is, does Abraham think he has earned Isaac? Or does he understand that the fact that Isaac is in his family is a gift? 
And his response to the call of God in chapter 22 will show you whether he thinks he's earned this or whether he's received his son as a gift. And from this, he came up with what he called the way of gratitude, that the only way out of the deep grief in his life, the only way he could move forward was to be grateful for the 10 years that they did have together with their daughter. So I would tell you that I think gratitude will help you deal more effectively with the past. I think it will help you open up to the present. To me, there's nothing quite like gratitude that opens my eyes to how good I already have it. A friend of mine was pastor with me in another town, and he used to tell me every time we met, he said, all I want in life is this, David. He said, I want to have it good and know it. And what he meant was he wasn't being greedy. He just went, when he was in a situation of, 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 of blessedness, he wanted to be able to appreciate it and accept it for what it was. And I think that we savor life when we're more grateful uh, for the things and we have at this moment and the people who are around us. Brene Brown, in, in a lot of her writing, talks about the sense some of us have when things are going well. We get a little nervous or fearful that the other shoe's going to drop real soon, and it's not, it can't keep going this good forever. She calls that foreboding joy. But what, uh, what Brown says is this, the only antidote she has found to this fear, this, unrash, this unrealistic fear we have, this foreboding joy, the only antidote she has found in life is gratitude. That if we are more grateful and live more fully in the present, then we have less time to worry about what might yet happen in the future. So my sense is gratitude helps us live better in terms of our past and lives better in the present, but also I think opens us up to the future in, I think, profound ways. Because as we learn to be grateful in the present, then we learn to trust that actually, in fact, good things and good people do come our way. I shared with some leaders in the church uh, the other day, the last time I would meet with them, I thanked them for being who they are. And I said, to me, there are two ways of handling this situation. One is I can say, y'all are really wonderful. There's never going to be anybody like you again. And I can kind of sulk out of the room. Or I can say, y'all are really wonderful. And you've given me hope and confidence that as I go up the road, there will be other wonderful people there. Gratitude opens you to the future. I don't know if you've heard the name Alan Ray Hinton. Alan Ray Hinton was uh, convicted of a crime he did not commit. Spent 30 years on death row. They finally uh, cleared his name. Uh, He was uh, as innocent and he was freed from jail. And they asked him about the people who'd put him there. Those who had brought the charges and those who had convicted him. He said, what are you going to do to them? What do you want to say to them? And he said, he said nothing. He said Uh, I have to forgive them and go forward. He said, they've already taken 30 years of my life. I don't want to give them any more of my life. Gratitude, I think, keeps us from rehashing older days in negative ways and helps us be alive and more present uh, in the present and open to the future. I think gratitude, as Paul said, and if you wondered if I was ever going to get the Bible, here it is. Paul said, it is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you in all circumstances. Now think about the man who's writing this. He's a man who already at this stage in Thessalonians, which may be about his earliest letter, but he's already been arrested. He's already spent some time in prison. He's already been unjustly accused of inciting the public to riot. 
He's already been betrayed by the people who were close to him. He's already had the churches he's founded start to fight within themselves. He's got a lot of problems. And yet he says, it is God's will to give thanks. And so I would say to you that giving thanks is not first and foremost a matter of circumstances and good circumstances. I think sometimes it's not even our circumstances that keep us from being thankful. They're just sort of ethos in our day. Uh, John Cheever, uh, the writer, said some years ago that the dominant American middle-class emotion, he said, is disappointment. We have so much, but we don't quite have enough. We're a little bit like Bart Simpson. One Thanksgiving meal, it's uh, time for Bart to offer the prayer. And you may remember this is what Bart said in his prayer. He said, we paid for all this stuff anyway, so thanks for nothing. That's possible that we have that attitude. So how can you rise to the challenge of being thankful in all circumstances? Let me pass on a couple of things that, that, that I've said over 20 years because I've needed to be reminded so many times. The first thing is if you want to be more grateful, you have to learn to focus on what you have, not what, on you, what you don't have. I remember some years ago in another church, my wife was working that Sunday morning. So when she got home in the evening, she said, well, how was church today? And I started listing for her the people who weren't there. And she stopped me and she said, you know, that's really interesting. She said, most people count attendance by who's there, not who's not there. And that was helpful to me. Focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. And to do this, I would borrow from John Ortberg, who said, we've got to develop the practice of being able to give thanks for imperfect gifts. Because not everything is going to be the way you want it all the time. Uh, speaking of another Thanksgiving story, cartoon years ago, Snoopy, the dog, is looking through at Charlie Brown, and they're all inside having a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner. And he looks at his dog dish with its little bit of food in the dish, and he says to himself, well... It could be worse. I could be the turkey. There is that sense in which it could be worse. You begin to focus that things around you and people around you simply aren't going to be what you want all the time. In fact, there's a wonderful rabbinic practice that's helped me, which is the rabbis say, if anybody has ever done anything good for you, you thank God for them, even if they later turned on you. You thank them that they did something good. The Buddhists have something interesting. Uh, they say that you should be especially grateful for your enemies. They are called precious teachers because your enemies will kind of help you know uh, where your, your, um, your areas in life are. I mean, when I've run in difficulties, it's helped me kind of notice the spots of my narcissism and, and other things I need to work on. So it kind of helps us know the areas in which we need to work on in our life. And then the other thing, it helps us develop such things as unconditional love and kindness, uh, non-retaliation. It helps us uh, really grow in our life and faith. And so it seems to me that that's good advice that I was given so many years ago, which is focus on what you have, and, by, and in doing so, give thanks even when it's not perfect. The other piece of advice I would give, and you've got to expect this from a pastor, you need to focus on God. 
I think one of the things is to focus on God as the giver. When I, when I make a list of what God has given me, and I, and I had a list um, uh, this morning, but there was no sense going through it because you've already been exposed to so much of it uh, this morning, people for whom I'm grateful and some of the things we've done together. Uh, but when I make a gratitude list or journal, or some people use what a gratitude jar and they put the notes of gratitude in a jar. When you, when you do that, and think about God as a giver, what it gives me is a sense of expectancy in my life. Not entitlement. I don't think God owes me anything and has to do something for me tomorrow in a specific way. But what I get a sense is that in any situation, God's not yet finished acting. Um, And so I get a sense of expectancy. And, And the other thing is I would think about God as a parent. And think about you as a parent or parents that you've loved or admired. Would a wise parent give a child everything they want at exactly the time they want it? Would they? As I've told you before, I had an eight-year-old who wanted the keys of the car, and I just, I'm pretty mean. I I didn't give it to him. Would you give somebody what they want when they wanted it? Think about God's perspective. And the other thing, I think, is that I remember that what God wants for us is to grow up to be mature. And sometimes to think our happiness only rests on circumstances is about the most immature attitude that we could have. Um, I love the parable, you've perhaps heard it before, of the golden arches. A girl's five years old, mom's fixing dinner, and she announces she wants to go to McDonald's to get a Happy Meal. Mom said, look, dinner's already in the oven, maybe another night. No, mom, I really want a Happy Meal now. And and they began to debate it. And so finally, the five-year-old girl says, mom, if I could have a happy meal now, I'll never ask for anything ever again, and I will never complain no matter what. Well, dad looks at mom and is like, well, we can't pass on that offer. So she gets a happy meal. And do you know what? Do you know what? She missed a lot of school in one year in elementary school because of a strange illness, but she never complained. Do you know in her teenage years, her case of acne was worse than most of the girls in school, but She never complained, even with the embarrassment and difficulty. Do you know that her high school prom date canceled the week before the prom? She didn't complain. When she graduated college, she married her college sweetheart. She helped put him through graduate school. And six months after he graduated, he presented her with his request for divorce. But all this time, she never complained because she said, when I was five years old, I got the Happy Meal. Now, do you believe that story? (laughs) Of course not. Of course not. Because only a child thinks that a change in circumstances is going to make the difference for them in life. The rest of us know that maturity is something else. It's being able to handle whatever the circumstances are. And I believe the best way to handle it is with a sense of of gratitude. So my last Sunday, so one more Fred Craddock reference, a man who's taught me so much about life and preaching from a distance. Uh, He was uh, speaking one um, day to a group of seminarians, and this is what he said, you know, if, if I were talking to a search committee from a church looking for a new pastor, he said, I would tell them that the most important question is not, can he or she preach? I would tell them the most important question is this, Does he or she exhibit a sense of gratefulness in their life? Is there any evidence that they are grateful? Because he said, I am convinced after years 
of working as a Christian and teaching and working with churches, that the heart of the Christian life is gratitude. Is there any evidence of gratitude? Well, most of you know, um, uh, next month I'm moving up the road to Austin. I would appreciate if you would send word ahead that I'm grateful. (laughs) But if you're speaking to someone from there, make sure you get it right. I am grateful, but I'm grateful for you. 